It is indeed a pleasure to have this privilege to play here for you. We, we intend to give you a very fine program, so just settle back, relax, and enjoy the moment. 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 Hey, what's going on, y'all? What's going on? Welcome back to Miked Up, the podcast. I'm your host, Mika Gaston. This is an unapologetic, low-country-based podcast, and I'm excited to be back. I've been on somewhat of a hiatus with the podcast, but many of you know that I live stream every weekday morning starting at 8 a.m., so you can always check me out over on Twitch, uh, and I'll drop some of that information in the show notes for this episode. This is going to be part one of two. Recently, I sat down with a peer of mine, Alvin Johnson. Alvin is the Director of Entitlements and Due Diligence with Crescent Homes, and beyond all that and all the platitudes and, and all the credentials, Alvin is just really a rad dude, and I really thought that, hey... Let me introduce them to my listening audience. I think you'll learn a lot from our conversation. Again, this is part one of two. Um, Alan is a Citadel graduate. He's also a former D1 athlete, um, former NFL prospect. I learned that during this uh, this conversation. I was excited. Y'all know how much I love sports, so. All right. But um, but no, I really do hope that you learn a lot about Alvin because of where he fits in this area. I talk a lot about the, the systems that drive Charleston that has led to so much growth. But I want to spend more time introducing you to people, the people who actually get this city moving, who do a lot of behind the scenes work. Um, that way we can add that 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 nuance that everyone clamors for or calls for across social media. Um, I think uh, you'll enjoy this interview with Alvin. So without further ado, check this out and I'll probably catch you on the other side of this. All right. Okay, Alvin, what's going on? Hey, Mika, how you doing? How you doing? I'm doing great. Thank you for uh, joining me on Miked Up. Um, this has been, for me, I may not have articulated a request. For me, this is a long time coming. Um, I, I really wanted to just sit down and uh, talk to you, but also let uh, listeners know more about you and who you are. Um, I said this before we hit before we hit the the go button, the on air button, that uh, you're kind of below the radar. Um, at least that's how I see it from my perspective. But people who know you know who you are. But so just introduce yourself to the listening public. Okay, well, I'm Alvin Johnson. I'm the uh, director of entitlements and due diligence for a company called Levi Grantham. Um, Levi Grantham is the land arm of Crescent Homes. So basically, when we see a Crescent house built, uh, my job is basically be sure that you know they get permits and everything, be able to build the infrastructure, be able to support house building. Um, but prior to that, um, I was a project manager at AECOM, uh, where I worked on the uh, city of Charleston stormwater standards. Um, and also help, I guess, um, usher in their um, stormwater um, program, right? So that was approximately a $2 billion program, you know, to kind of sort of address all the flooding and infrastructure needs for the city of Charleston. Um, prior to that, I had a firm called ATJ Engineering, uh, where I operated at from about 2011 to 2018. Um, I was fortunate enough to work on some um, large-scale projects um, here in Charleston, uh, most notably, uh, the expansion of the Charleston Airport from about 2012 to 2015. And um, prior to that, I was with a firm called Thomas & Hutton, uh, basically working on the other side of what I do now. You know, that's that's kind of, I guess, how I met some of the folks that I was able to meet to get into some of the spaces and doors that I've been able to 
you know, um, operate in. So, um, and of course, I'm a 2003 Citadel graduate, and uh, we can talk about that a yeah. little bit later. Yeah, yeah, nah, for sure, for real. So, uh, you're an engineer, right? So that's yeah. that's really important uh, for people to understand and know. And yeah, we're definitely gonna get to the Citadel part. Um, for those who don't, who can't see, Alvin is um is black, uh, and so I think out of anyone who comes from the Citadel, the, the people I want to hear about are black. I want to hear from either black cadets or cadets that are having an, uh, perhaps, you know, just a, a unique experience. I, I don't want to characterize it as anything negative or positive. I just want y'all to kind of share, share your perspective on that. But, um, before we hop into that, you know how it is in the South, or at least I learned this at a very early age, where you're from, people want to know where you're from, where your roots at. Are you a Southern person? Are you, a, are you a Yankee? Are you, you know, I mean, we want to know yeah. all that. <laughs> Definitely not a Yankee. Uh, I'm Southern. I was born in, uh, right outside of Irmo, South Carolina, which is in, you know, about an hour and a half up the road, uh, middle of the state, probably 15, 20 minutes from downtown Columbia. Um, I, you know, I was there for the first 18 years of my life, you know, um, lived an experience that was, you know, I probably uh, had a black experience for like maybe the first four or five years of my life. And then we moved to Irmo and then, you know, I was kind of one of very few. So I was kind of prepared to come to Charleston and prepared to come to the Citadel, um, if that makes any sense. But I, I really had a, a skewed version of reality, I guess, in life as a black person. Um, so it's, you know, that's, that's, Wait, that's, what do you mean? Like, like in terms of like going from a predominantly black upbringing or surroundings to Irma or like, what can you, can you explain that a little bit? Yeah. So it was, you know, for the first four or five years of my life, of course, I could probably recall, you know, a very small portion of that, you know, first, you know, three or four years. Right. Um, you know, so, you know, I went to an all black church. I went to an all black school. My teachers were black. The principal was black. Oh, I got you. Um, everybody in my environment was black. Right. So Monday through Sunday, it was just all black folks. And then, you know, I moved to Irmo and, uh, it was a shock to the system. I just say my dad took me to go see, uh, Mississippi burning. And um, it was probably not a good thing for a seven-year-old to see, right? And then from like that point on, it was like, yeah, um, it, it was a very different experience for me, you know, for the next, what, 10 or 12 years. But did you feel like in South Carolina, having parents, um, well, I don't know if your parents are from South Carolina, I'm assuming that mm -hmm. they're, they're yeah. rooted? Okay. Yeah, my dad's rooted. Okay. Great Leesville, South Carolina. Yeah, so so you must have grown up with like a certain level of consciousness. The fact that your father even brought you to that movie, it feels like you probably had a lot of the same stories or lessons that were passed down to me. But like, yeah, what was it like growing up as like a black boy, a black young man in the mm -hmm. South with to black parents? It, it was just me and my dad, right? And okay. one thing that my dad always did, it didn't matter how low I got, how how I got, you know, he always reminded me that I was a black man. Um, and it just seemed like he went out of his way at times, right? Um, just so I wouldn't get too far away, right? Because, you know, just Irmo, South Carolina, there's not a lot of us there. And he, he, he always found the opportunities to make me aware of my blackness, um, just so I, you know, just wouldn't stray too far from home. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I think that can relate to that. Okay. So fast, let's fast forward a little bit, uh, quite a bit. Um, for those, those you who can't see, I'm looking at Alvin right now and he's, he has a Jersey behind him, <laughs> um, from his old, good old college days. Uh, tell me, I guess let's go to high school first before we jump to the Citadel. Tell me about like, um, you 
because you're an engineer. So I already know that you're super duper smart, like all the engineers I know in my life. <laughs> but uh, you also excelled in athletics. Tell me more about that. Yeah. So uh, I played baseball in high school. Okay. Uh, I played football as well. And, you know, f- football was a, a better sport for me, obviously. Right. So uh, I managed to play my senior year. I played one year high school football, basically. And uh, I was uh, fortunate enough to uh, get a full scholarship to play football at the Citadel. Um, it was a school that I knew absolutely nothing about um, other than the fact that, you know, there was a guy I went to uh elementary school with his dad went there and he wore something central every day and I couldn't quite understand why he loved that school so much we came out here on a visit my dad absolutely loved it looking back on it I just really think it was more of a function of you know him still trying to take me from being a boy to a black man and you know just kind of sort of saying like hey this this is probably the best place for you to be prepared to live as a black man in America Um, of course you know 17 years old wasn't quite sure. I wasn't, didn't quite understand it then. Um, but then also just understanding my dad being born in the first half of the 20th century in the Jim Crow South. Um, he was always teaching me things that I needed to survive as a black man. And um, I, I think that was probably the like final thing for him was I need to put you in a situation where um, you will be well aware of your blackness and then therefore you'll be prepared uh, to be able to live. Um, post-graduation as a black man here in America. Mm, That's powerful though. I think that's really powerful. Can I ask you a personal question right now? It just popped in my head. What do you, what do you feel about your father's steady guiding you in that direction? Like just as a black man, like how did it pay off? Did it pan out? Like, what do you feel about that? Um, You you know, at times I just kind of wish that we could have, you know, focus on just living life more, you know, as opposed to him always trying to be sure that I have what I needed to survive. Um, our relationship is very different, right? It's not like he's my best friend. He's not my best friend, right? Because he didn't have time to to really be my friend at the end of the day. But um, looking back on it, I know exactly why he did. And I'm certainly very much, I'm very, I'm vi- highly grateful for it. I hear you. No, that was very candid. I really appreciate you you, you mm-hmm. sharing a little bit on that. Um, so okay, so you said one year of football and then you got recruited to play. Yeah, yeah, That's crazy. yeah. Like real. I rode the bench my freshman, sophomore, and junior year in high school. Yeah, I started one year in high school. I don't even know. Like, I don't even know how that happens though. Okay, so then you broke out. You broke out in your senior year, junior year, senior. Yeah. Year? Yeah, I mean, I was on a loaded team, right? So college scouts were there pretty much every day, every practice. And um, I was a a benefactor of having, you know, some of the best talent in the state of South Carolina on my team. And uh, somebody just happened to see me and they took a chance on me. Yeah. And you was on some Bo Jackson mess. You was doing baseball or some Dion. I don't know which one you want to use, Dion or Bo. Which one? <laughs> I certainly wasn't on, certainly nowhere near those levels, right? But, um, but- I just certainly played a game. Yeah, two sport athlete, y'all. Two sport athlete. Ain't nothing. To, that ain't nothing. To, um, that's that's impressive. Okay, so boom. So check it. You got recruited. Wide receiver, right? Wide receiver. 
quarterback and then wide receiver. Yeah. Oh, yeah. oh, that's right. That's right. That's right. Okay, quarterback then wide receiver. How'd you do? How'd you do? How how was? I'm gonna keep it on the field for a second, and then we'll get to the uh, academic. Okay, I was I was such a great quarterback that I ended up getting moved to wide receiver. <laughs> Let's just put it that way. That's a that's a long story in America with with, with football, yeah. but we'll. But you you're saying that was about talent, more so about acumen, I guess, talent or. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I I was a better fit as okay. a wide receiver than I was, uh, you know. Okay. a quarterback but it worked out for me in the end gotcha all right so you're excelling on the field there um citadel football while it's not the biggest program in the south it's definitely a, a d1 right d1 big yep. big deal yep. um yeah all right so okay so that's great so they recruited you because of, of football but um well what about the academics did that factor in any of the recruitment um, so I wasn't the like strongest, right? Cause I spent a lot of time trying to get on the field for football and playing, you know, baseball. So, um, my grades took a hit at the end of the day. I wasn't a 4.0 guy. I probably could have been right, but I was more focused on just, you know, balls and bats and things of that nature. Um, but, um, I always did well on like standardized tests and things of that nature. So I was able to get the GPA needed. And the test score needed to get into the Citadel, which, um, you know, it's not like guys getting into the Citadel or knocking down 14 and 1500s on the SATs anyway. Um, oh, really? To that subject matter. Really? Um, I've always thought conversation. They, I thought they always had like this big academic, like, reputation. I don't know. No, that's not really. You do once you get there, right? It's, it's, it's um, guys do excel there. They do great afterwards. Um, but, um, you know, it's, it's, it's just, uh, perception is reality. I just put it that way. Cool. All right. So you're there, you're, you're a student athlete. Let let me ask you, like, how was your experience? Because maybe you, maybe your pops didn't know, but, um, I think we were around the same age. I graduated high school in 99. Yeah, me too. I graduated in 99. Um, the civil experience, it was, it was different, right? Um, you get there, you call what, uh, they call you a knob, right? So that's your first year, freshman year. You know, you come in, you got to do all the different things. You got to, you know, you got to march to the beat of the drum. Literally, you got to stay shined up. You got to stay shaved. You got to, you know, you got to be here at a certain time. You got to be there at a certain time. Um, but that wasn't the, like, challenge for me and, and probably for, I'm not going to say most Black folks, but a lot of Black people there. Um, it, 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 it was kind of dealing with the, like, like underlying, like, racial undertones right Mm -hmm. um that came along with it right because you have these other 18 year olds 19 year olds who really don't have to answer to anybody right and you have to do what they do or do what they say and you got to address them a certain way and they get to yell in your face get to make you do all this crazy stupid stuff and you know and 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 some of that that like racism always seems to rear its head in those interactions right it was a it wasn't hard, but it was very eye opening and it and it just really, you know, made me well aware of, of my blackness. You kind of realize that it doesn't matter how hard you try or, you know, whether you do everything the like right way, um, you'll you'll only get to a certain level of acceptance, if that makes any sense. Um, but I was actually privileged later on, you know, once I got on the football field and once I had success, right? I kinda got from some folks like OJ treatment, right? How they want OJ to sit at your table, right? right. Um, so I, I did experience privilege 
in that sense. So some of the doors that were, you know, open for me later on in life, post-graduation did come as a result of me being successful on the football field. And, you know, many black folks that go there don't necessarily have that same privilege. Right. Um, so I always try to be mindful of whenever I do get in certain spaces that I always try to, you know, bring that extra chair with me. Right. Um, so, uh, but yeah, the, the, uh, Cyril, it was different. Um, I had a conversation with some, with some allies, with some white allies. I asked a couple of questions and, you know, cause I really couldn't quite recall if, like, for instance, could we drink from water fountains in certain buildings or were you discouraged from drinking from water fountains? And the answer was, yeah, you were discouraged from drinking from water fountains as a knob, all knobs. Right. So not just black knobs, but all knobs. You know, there were certain sidewalks that we could and couldn't walk on. Uh, we had to walk in the gutter on certain streets, um, certain buildings. You couldn't go through the front door. You had to go to the back. And, you know, I, I was just sitting there thinking about, I was like, man, like this whole knob experience is no different than being a black person in the Jim Crow South, right? You can't look at upperclassmen in the face. You can't look at them in the eye. You got to call them, you know, sir, yes, sir. There's only certain answers. Um, and, you know, when I mentioned that to some folks, um, they always say, man, you know, we like never really thought about it that way. So it's kind of weird how, you know, that's kind of sort of baked into the uh, system, but you really don't notice it unless you really know what to look for. I'm not saying that it's intentional, but it's just kind of, you know, um, ironic just being at a school such as the Citadel, known for what it's known for, that, uh, you know, you have these individuals that come there and they spend nine months and they have to operate that way. Uh, I'm, I wanted to stick a pin in because I'm definitely going to remember to go back to you bringing a chair uh, into rooms that you're in because that's exactly how I met you years ago. Um, but the other thing you just mentioned um, with the, I, and I, I guess is it fair to call it uh, the knob experience, like that's hazing, right? That's part of the hazing experience. Yeah, um, but, you know, it's it's, it's, it's more of a, a 21st century hazing, right? I mean, they don't put their hands on you or right. certain people don't allow them to put their hands on you. Right? <laughs> um, but yeah, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's not real, like, you know, uh, 1980s or 1970s type of hazing. Yeah. Well, can I just ask, I just want to ask, I always want to ask a, a male athlete, like that went to like an intense program or intense institution. Like, what do you feel about hazing? Like, like pain as an incentive for either change or, whatever the desired outcome of hazing is supposed to be. What do you feel about that just as a grown-ass man now? <laughs> well, I mean, obviously my answer is only different as a grown-ass man than an 18-year-old, right? Right. Um, but looking back on it, it's, you know, I think there were a lot of, you know, opportunities missed and, you know, folks that could have been, that that could have thrived in certain systems mm -hmm. um, had they been able just to get past that point, mm -hmm. right? Um, but I'm not a proponent of it, but to mm -hmm. each his own, right? So, yeah. Yeah, you strike me. The more more um, more we have conversations, you strike me as someone uh, who is well, probably probably can characterize as, be characterized as a natural leader. Um, and I don't think that has anything to do with your physical, the way you present physically or being an athlete. I think you just have a, a natural leadership quality. Um, and I and so I, I wanted to know, like, how did that jive with the, the Citadel experience? Even as an, I know, an eighteen year old Alvin is not the same as you know, right now, today, 2021, Alvin, but, but yeah, what do you, what do you think that, how did that work out there? 
Um, so, yeah, I mean, it actually worked out great for me, right? Because, you know, I, I, I came on campus as a quarterback and, you know, ended up starting, you know, for one year, which naturally the quarterback is the leader mm-hmm. of the team. So um, I was able to, you know, galvanize 11, 15, 16 guys to kind of sort of, you know, follow behind me on game day Saturdays. And um, it worked out there. It worked out in the barracks as well. Um, I did have rank for two years, uh, sophomore year and junior year. Um, I had rank, but, you know, it's it's kind of funny because, you know, whenever we would get leave to be able to go downtown. So as knobs, you had to be back on campus by 12 o'clock. And of course, we would always push it, right? So it'd be a group of us downtown, it'd be like 11.45. And, you know, we certainly can't walk back to campus, you know, to be able to get back by by 12. But it just never failed that, like, the guys in the group would look at me and be like, hey, Alvin, like, what are we going to do? I'm just like, uh, we got to come up with a game plan. I always came up with a game plan, um, you yeah. know, where I was able, where I was able to, to make something work. Um, but, yeah. I guess I get that from my dad. He always prepared me to kind of sort of go at things alone. But if if like somebody were to come along with me, I will be able to help bring them along as well. So, you know, mm-hmm. I got to give my dad some props on that one. I got to give him all the props, to be honest with you. Yeah. Yeah. Sounds like it. Nah, uh, he left his, his handprints all over you. And that's that's a that's a good thing. OK, I think I wanted to ask you another question about that, that that strength that I think you you naturally that strength of that leadership mindset that you have. I wanted to ask you, like, have you seen like this arc in your life coming from, from, you know, your rural, not rural, excuse me, your Southern roots to the Citadel going through that experience. Has that changed your views on like black masculinity or like how you show up as a black man in the South or just in general, any, any room you're in, like, how does it, how does your experiences shape, your views on your own masculinity? I don't know if that's too broad of a question, but I don't want to ask that. Um, it is a broad question, to be honest with you. Um, but how has it shaped my views on black or, or masculinity? You- well, I, 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 I guess because most of the rooms and the spaces that I'm in, I'm the only person that looks like me there. Um, so I'm very conscious of, I guess, the vibe that I give off and and just, you know, kind of sort of understanding just just carrying this like burden of blackness and black male masculinity in all these different spaces. Um, I'm very aware of it. It's just one of those things to where I, I think as we as we get older, as we move on, as we start to learn more, um, I do question, you know, whether, you know, the idea of black masculinity that I've always had, if that's the true version of what it should be, if that makes any sense. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I think we're just in this space and time now to where, you know, it's almost like the like second renaissance, right? The where, you know, we're almost like questioning everything and just becoming more enlightened, you know, as to how things really should be. Wanted mm-hmm. to now transition to like almost like in a timeline type of thing. Um, so you're about to leave the Citadel. Take us, take me back to, take us back to senior year at the Citadel. You're about to leave. Do, did you already declare your major? Are you, are you an engineer in, uh, in the making at that point in your senior year? Where are you? So senior year, um, I actually had a pretty good football career to the point where I had an opportunity to play at the next level. So I kind of lost my focus. Wait, right? for, wait, so, wait, 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 time out, time out. For real, for real, for real? Yeah, yeah. So I was an NFL prospect. Um, I had an agent 
Um, and I was stuck with a choice coming second semester, senior year, whether I would finish, stay and graduate or if I would go and train. And um, me and my agent kind of sort of bumped heads on that one. You know, my dad told me, I, I, I talk to my dad a lot, right? So <laughs> right before I left to come to college, my dad told me I'll come home with one of two things, either a college degree or an NFL contract. And I kind of saw the college degree slipping. Um, and then I was just being realistic about my chances of playing in the NFL, right? So um, I refocused on the books and graduated, got my degree. Um, and, you know, the NFL thing didn't work out. Work out. I worked out for a couple of teams. Um, ooh, 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 but, um, it didn't quite work out for me, so ooh, I got wait, a job. Wait, who did you try out for? I'm sorry, this is a sports fan talking. Who did you try out for? Um, I worked out for the Baltimore Ravens. Um, they actually came and pulled me out of class. I was in Count 4 class. And I forgot to turn my phone off. I never forget. I forgot to turn my phone off. So my phone was ringing in the middle of the class. And, and Dr. Pajes was my professor. He was like, you're not going to answer that? I was like, oh, I forgot to turn the phone off. So I answered. It was a scout from the Ravens. Like, yeah, I'm at the airport. Uh, can you come and work out? I was like, Psh. I asked my professor. And he was like, shoot, what are you talking about? Yeah, go do the workout. So, uh, yeah, I worked out for the Ravens, the Jacksonville Jaguars. And I was contacted by the Indianapolis Colts and the Carolina Panthers right before the draft. All right. So you're, you're getting, you you said you made critical decisions around uh, about graduation and, you know, you, you understood, you probably understood where you would fall in terms of um, the NFL prospect uh, situation. Mm-hmm. So you made, you made a, you made a business decision. Yeah. <laughs> All, right. All right. So take us to that. Well, okay. So you got your stuff together and it was engineering. Yeah. I graduating. Um, and then, I got a job with the firm here in Mount Pleasant, um, Thomas and Hutton. Um, I actually got that job through a Citadel grad. Uh, we were watching the Super Bowl like a year or two before, and he was like, hey, you know, once you graduate, uh, hit me up. You know, I might be able to help you get a job. So I called him, and, um, you know, I, I went in for an interview. We sat down, we talked, and um, I did that interview, and then I went to Atlanta. Uh, I did an interview there for a firm in Atlanta. And for some reason, you know, I, I, I decided to stay here. Um, so I got that job here and I worked at that company for like six or seven years. Um, and then in 2009, uh, well, 2010, um, we decided that it was probably best if we parted ways. Right. Um, so that that was when in 2011 um, I started ATJ Engineering and I was trying to leverage all the relationships that I made those first six or seven years and all those different spaces that I was able to get in. Um, and, you know, I was able to, like I said, I worked on some large scale projects here in the area. Um, if you go into the airport, the main entrance, all of the uh, consultants that worked on the international airport is listed there. And you'll see ATJ Engineering there. And that's me, Alvin Thomas Johnson. Um, I worked on the, the new, there's a new train station and, North Charleston, I think it opened up like maybe two or three years ago. I worked on that. Um, I did the feasibility study for Stony Field. As you can probably see, they're actually doing work out there right now. Um, so, yeah, I worked on a couple of large scale projects for Charleston County, uh, the widening of Maybank Highway, the widening of Folly Road. Um, all that was kind of sort of done in partnership with larger firms, but as ATJ Engineering. 
Um, so, but there was a lot of challenges, right? As you probably noticed, um, I worked on a lot of publicly funded jobs um, as a result of, you know, people needing to check a box at the end of the day. But I had the relationships with all those folks that were with these larger firms that would bring me in and, uh, and allow me to help them check the box. But I was also value added, right? I, I brought value to the project. Um, but throughout those years, you know, I, I actually met a lot of the folks that, you know, um, you know, helped get me into some of the spaces that I am now. Um, and then I did that for a while and I kind of got burnt out, right? Because I, I, I noticed that I wasn't getting any private work. And um, I couldn't get work from, you know, folks that had land that wanted to build and develop. You know, um, I was on the CRDA board for two years. Um, so I was in the room with, you know, all of the largest contractors in the low country, um, rubbing elbows with them and trying to figure out how they can help my business. But um, one thing that I kind of sort of noticed, and I don't know if this is, I don't want this to be taken as me, you know, quitting or giving up, but I started realizing that, that, you know, uh, that all the white people with money were doing business with white people with money. Mm -hmm. um, and a lot of those people that, you know, uh, some of the industry partners that I had, that I had, a lot of their friends didn't want to be my friend, right? Mm -hmm. Um they let me, you know, they would shake hands and give me dap and ask me how my family's doing and invite me to the party. But when it came time to trying to get money, uh, none of those folks wanted to get money with me. Um, so that's when I decided that, you know, I'm still going to do that on the side, but I need something that's a little bit more consistent. And uh, that's when, you know, AECOM happened. Um, I knew the branch manager over there. Uh, we had worked together years before. and um, that's when he brought me on. I was like, hey, you know, we're trying to get this stormwater management program. You know, it's a $2 billion program. City of Charleston, you know, you want, want you to come in, help us run it. Well, first, I want you to help us get it because mm -hmm. there's a interview process. There's a lot of politics involved, right? You know, it's trying to figure out, you know, who's going to be on the committee, you know, who's going to have the votes, all that good stuff. So there's a lot of politics in, in, involved. Um, but yeah, so um, AECOM happened and I did that for a while um, and I just got bored, to be honest with you. AECOM was just a little boring. Um, it was fun, but somewhat boring at the same time because I was doing the same thing over and over again. Yeah, same thing over and over again. It was a little monotonous. Yeah. And and uh, that's where you and I cross paths. So I um, want to get back to that cheer comment you mentioned earlier because um, I do think that's how you move. Um, you create, it sounds like you create opportunities or you try to leverage your position, your station, uh, for leverage that and turn that into an opportunity for somebody else. So we had a mutual friend in common or a mutual acquaintance, acquaintance, acquaintance in common. And mm -hmm. I found myself in a room, um, with two other, uh, community members as well. Uh, and we were talking with you at ACOM about mm -hmm. maybe some, Perspective projects. Can you characterize? Can you describe your role at ACOM? Even though you said it, it got to be monotonous and whatnot, but it felt like you were there also to help with diversity or uh, being at least culturally sensitive uh, in your approach to the engineering work you did in Charleston. Is that fair, or how would you say? How would yeah. you? Yeah, yeah, that's very fair and accurate. Um, yeah, so 
how we met was basically, you know, whenever we're talking about this, this, this program and, you know, all the money that was going to be spent and, you know, how, you know, we're going to fix the infrastructure in this place and that place. And, you know, I just kind of told him, I was like, there are some stakeholders that were not taken into account. Right. So we had identified this person and this group and these people. And I'm like, well, there's a whole constituency out there that also needs to be touched and we're not touching black folks. Right. So uh, we had developed this tool. It was a, a tool to basically help prioritize projects in the city of Charleston. And they and they use what's called the uh, the tr- the triple bottom line. Right. Where they look at the economic impact, the social impact and the environmental impact. Right. And so, you know, when we're talking about the social impact. Right. That's that's how do how do these dollars that are injected in these different projects, how do they socially impact people in those different spaces and places? And I was like, how can we have these conversations without having representation, you know, from some of those people and yourself? um, I think Chris Kalen and um, Fitz were, you know, people that I had identified, right. was like, Hey, we got to get these people in the room. They have a following. People listen to them. And if if we want to reach out and reach into certain spaces that we haven't reached before, I think we need to have these advocates and, you know, um, leverage their relationships while also cultivating a relationship to kind of sort of bridge some of these gaps and be sure that everybody's being touched. That that needs to be touched. Hmm. That's a, that's personally important to you. Oh, yeah, certainly. Um um, at my current role, um, I actually told the folks, you know, when I came in for the interview that there's a lens that I have that I can't take out. And that's an equity lens. Right. I can't be in the room and not also understand that I have to, you know, be sure that whatever opportunities that I can create for folks that look like me, mm-hmm. that I create those. I, I, I do my best to be able to create. I I really hope that you enjoyed that interview or you learned something new. You had some takeaways from that. Sit down um, with me and Alvin. Um, I I guess on a personal note, I just think it's it's compelling to hear from men like Alvin who kind of uh, they transcend this image that's more the, the image that's more often promoted. Um, whether it be the image of a black man from or around Charleston or working in Charleston or that image of a citadel grad. I think it complicates um, certain narratives that we all might have about individuals here who come from institutions or who ascend to a certain level of of, uh, personal uh, success. Um, that at least that's how um, that's how I approached the the interview. Um, and I hope that you'll stay tuned for part two. Reason why I broke the reason why I broke up the interview was because he ended on an, an, a personal note about his equity lens. And what I really want to take people into, I want to take y'all into uh, the recent news or movements around the um, equity commission, the special commission, excuse me, the special commission on equity, um, inclusion and racial conciliation um, that was launched by the the city and spearheaded by Amber Johnson. Um, So we'll get into that in part two, but I, I think it was really helpful to, to at least 
for you to hear his personal story and journey as we trans as we transition into a conversation about uh, the city commission. Um, I think it'll be great. So stay tuned for part two. I won't leave you hanging. I promise. I know I've been a bad girl. I left y'all hanging. I ain't going to leave you like that no more. Um, but we will be wrapping up this season of podcasting this season of Mike. Uh, we will be bringing it to an end um, before the year end. And then we'll, we'll start back up um, in the new year in 2022. But it's not over yet. So again, stay tuned for the part two with Alvin. And yeah, thank you for rocking with me. Thank you for staying, staying here and supporting Mike Dub. I really mean that. I'm practicing more intentional gratitude. I've I got I got and get <laughs> so much support from you all. And I just want to say that it does not go unnoticed. Um, even if I can't shoot you back a DM or a response to your email or anything like that, please know that any support that you have offered me. Uh, does not go unnoticed. And I'm super grateful um, as I continue this journey to build out a media imprint in Charleston that is diverse, that is um, that is independent, that is progressive, innovative. Um, as, I, as I continue to build out this dream of mine, um, I'm never going to forget all the help I had along the way and even, even the tough lessons as well. So I felt, I felt like I needed to share that, all right? All right, so take care of yourself. I want y'all to please take care of yourself amid everything that's going on with the economy, with COVID-19, with our schools, uh, with the attacks on intellectualism and uh, history, real history. I just want y'all to please hold yourself, give yourself some grace, take breaks from social media when you need to. My Gullah Geechee people, all my black people in Charleston, stay black, hold your head, all right? One yourself. Bye. <laughs>